Okay, we're recording, and then uh, I'll go live here on Facebook. We're good. We're good to go. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Joshua Trent. This is my wife, Eliza. And we are with Iron Scepter Worldwide, a ministry of the kingdom of God. And we are right now here in the nation of Latvia. And today we have a very distinguished and special guest, author and historian, Gary Wayne. Hello, Gary. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for inviting me and uh, very much looking forward to speaking with you and reaching an audience that maybe may not be all that aware with uh, my work or some of the topics that I cover off in my work. So I think it'll be, you know, one of those sort of first steps and eye-opening experiences for a lot of people, including myself today. So really looking forward to, to the discussion. Well, we're really excited too. And um, we have been, in the last few weeks, we have been talking about the religion of medical science. I wrote, a, I published an article on March the 16th of this year, uh, uh, detailing the the imminent, at the time I said imminent, and now it is ongoing, clash between the church and the occult religion of medical science, specifically between the genuine, authentic apostles of King Jesus and the religion of medical science. We just saw uh, two weeks ago, um, the pastor down in Florida, Dr. Rodney Howard Brown was arrested um, for continuing to hold, hold services where the sick were being healed and the lost were being saved. Um, and the government tried to step in and, and make a, uh, an example of him. And, and basically the religion of medical science is flexing their newfound uh, power. And, and we see that, um, that really, that truly the government is uh, of the United States it is controlled by uh, the uh, big pharmaceutical drug cartels and, and, and even behind the scenes, uh, uh, occult societies um, transcend both Republican and Democrat parties. So this is a very um, bipartisan, uh, transcends parties. And, and um, I, I uh, about a year and a half ago, I came across uh, Gary Wayne's work, his research, his uh, book, and, um, and, and several of his uh, lectures online. And uh, we have him here today. He is a uh, walking encyclopedia. Um, it is such an honor to have you here, sir. And we are, um, I believe that everybody watching today, we're gonna, we're gonna have so much more clarity um, because we're gonna really go in depth into the history of, of even the, and the occult nature of, of, of medical science, talking about the seven sacred sciences. Um, and in fact, uh, I'm gonna link my article, uh, Apostles vs. Medical Science in the comment section. And I know many of you have already read through that. Uh, we came on here last week, my wife and I, where we shared, my wife shared her, uh, she had a warning vision, I had a warning dream within uh, 12 hours of each other, where um, God is making very clear that um, there is a, a imminent agenda to um, force mandatory vaccines. And uh, we're gonna talk about that in this broadcast. Um, what else do I need to really cover before we start? Uh, we, um, my wife is gonna share. Um, in fact, babe, can you right now, She's going to share. She had another warning dream. Uh, was it last night? Um, the day before. Okay, yesterday. So she just had it yesterday. And yeah, can you go ahead and read that? 
Yes, yeah, so my dream was that I had a dream that I was traveling, having the best time of my life in swimming pools and relaxing. And suddenly my fun came to an end. And in that very day, there was a worldwide announcement that everybody has to have this mandatory vaccine. When I heard this, I ran to and fro to everybody I knew to warn them, to save them, because I knew that the vaccine's effect would be irreversible. And I was asking all I knew if they knew who Bill Gates was and almost trying desperately telling them not to take the vaccine and saying that if they do obey what I have to say, they'll experience trials and maybe death, but it would be worth it. I, in, in another part of that dream was that I walked into a pharmacy and, and I tried to get some simple medicine and they announced that nobody is allowed to buy anything without this vaccine. And right next to that place, there was a huge long line where people were getting injections of those vaccines. That was the dream. Wow. Wow. So again, we are, you know, the Bible says in Romans 8, 14, that, though, that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. So the Holy Spirit is, is warning the body of Christ and showing us things to come. That's what Jesus promised. He said that the Spirit of truth, he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. And he's going to show you things before they happen. And Gary Wayne, our special guest today, he really has the Spirit of truth upon him. And he has wisdom from God, and he has been um, warning the body of Christ about uh, uh, what is happening now, but, but even what's, you know, because this has been an ongoing agenda for thousands of years. So, um, Gary, please uh, just let it rip, and, and, and please. <laughs> yeah, feel free to jump in and ask questions and clarify for your audience. So, um because we're gonna we're gonna cover a wide range of things, and uh, there's so many doors that we can open in each area that we go into that you know it can become almost a, an endless conversation. So it's important to you know have a discussion and clarify because uh, sometimes uh, I, I get going on what I call one of my famous rants, and I can go for a while. And um, I, I think it's important, but we also I also need to stay focused and stay on track. So to sort of link this into what you were talking about in introducing the discussion today and uh, and and in the details of the dream with the the vaccination and things it's not so much the vaccinations that i'm concerned about is but what door it opens up to in terms of when things are compulsory uh, that leaves an ability to abuse the situation and you then have the ability when you don't have oversight, you have absolute control, you can change those vaccines that might alter your DNA or do other things or introduce high tech to deliver um, healthcare, which is part of the Davos uh, discussions that were going on two years ago in terms of nanobots and hooking up to a chip that leads to, to the D system. And the medical association with what they've introduced for their first worldwide pandemic rollout in terms of an organizational structure and strategy and tactics transcends all borders 
And so his ability to change everything that we know going forward, and I think this will, I think this will be like 9-11 on steroids in terms of the things that will be put in place and that will remain in place. And so those ripples will continue to go through. I want to also suggest before I get into what I'm going to talk about next here is that we shouldn't get too far over our skis in terms of where we are in prophetic chronology, uh, in terms of uh, where we are. I do think that we are in the fig tree generation. We don't know how long that generation is, whether it's you know, seven years as the Psalms talks, talks about, or Genesis 6-3 is 120 years. But I think with the taking of Jerusalem and the fig tree starting to sprout leaves, I think uh, Jerusalem is essential to end time prophecy and that people of Judah have to be in the land of the covenant to fulfill those prophecies. And so I think this is part of the birth pangs that Jesus orates to his disciples when they asked him about his second coming and the signs for the end time. So birth pangs are, as you know, it's defined in Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 49, Hosea 13, they are the beginning of sorrows, as Jesus talks about, or pangs and sorrows and labor pains, which I'm sure most people are aware of in terms of those terms are. But what that means is that the pestilence that's listed in the verse before in verse 8, and the earthquakes, and the famine, and the wars and the rumors, the wars, wars and rumors of wars that we backtrack into Matthew 24-7, and I like to use Matthew as one of my basic sort of chronology prophecies from the author of prophecy himself, Jesus our Redeemer, and then I overlay details of Mark and uh, Luke on top of that and all other prophecy around what Jesus said. So anyways, we need to understand how, how Jesus told us to prepare for the end time and that this is just the start of those birth pangs as they will get stronger and quicken between happenings or pains as we get closer to the end time. We're going to see that modeled in on steroids, so to speak, in the end time. And I think around the start of the last seven years, which uh, is talked about in Daniel 9.27 with the covenant, which is brought in through Antichrist sponsored by the universal religion, all of which isn't in place yet. So that's why we can't get over our skis. But where I'm going with this is then you have the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. And the seals are 25% of world population being destroyed, 25% of the earth, and it's through wars, it's through pandemics, it's through earthquakes, it's through famines. And wars are part of the key because pestilence and famines tend to follow the wars just as they do with the four horses. You move into the trumpets, it's now 33%. And you move into the bulls, and it's total, except that Jesus tells us that, except that he would shorten those days, nobody would be saved. The whole earth and everybody would be destroyed. So that would be 100% except that Jesus steps in. So birth pangs. It's important to define everything through what Jesus said and understand the chronology. So when we talk about revelations then, and also in Galatians, we get this word sorcery that comes up. Ugh. If you're using a King James Version English translation or one based on that, and it may have witchcraft or it may have a, another word depending on which translation, if it's based off the King James. But sorcery goes back to this word pharmakia in Greek. 
that pharmaceuticals and pharmacies and drugs are rooted in. And you get Pharmacasia in Galatians 5.20, Revelations 9.21, 18.23, 22, 18.22.15. So clearly we're being warned by Paul and John that these sorceries, this pharmacasia or pharmakia, as it's in Greek, is going to be important in the end time. And so when we look at what the drug companies are doing and what you were talking about in terms of the medical associations all introducing prescribed drugs, this is going to be a key thing that we've been warned about for the end time so that we need to have our heads up about it and have our wits about it, what's going on. And I would look at that as part of the birth pang warnings that would be tied into the pestilences and the wars and the earthquakes and everything that's going to come in behind it. And what type of organization is going to be central through all of those catastrophic themes? It's going to be the WHO organization. I'll get into their logos and things like that later. Um, but I just wanted to sort of lay that out to begin the conversation that what we're going to, what we're talking about has prophetic implications that we've been warned about. And then one of the things that I use as one of my principles is it's kind of a little bit lower down because I think the number one priority in terms of understanding prophecy is place all prophecy around Jesus, not vice versa. I also yeah. like to use all verses, not just the ones that I, you know, would fulfill a uh, preconceived idea. I think they all have to fit. There can't be any contradictions. So you let the Bible tell its story. I also believe the Bible is literal and linear, and you, you define the allegories within the Bible, not outside the Bible, so that it can only have a set meaning. Otherwise, it becomes interpretive like the polytheists approach things. And, you know, I have a few other ones, but that's the basic ones. But where I'm leading with that is the allegory. You need to understand prehistory to understand prophecy. You need to understand prehistory to understand all the events that happen after prehistory through the biblical history, human history, where we are today, and what's going to happen in the end time. Because much of those allegories and understanding goes back to prehistory. Now, now can I ask you uh, to define prehistory? Because I think that word for a lot of people watching, this is their first time listening to you and they're not familiar. And before you do that, I also want to interject and say, because a, lot, a tremendous part of our audience is actually um, leaning towards preterists and, um, you know, in that interpretation of eschatology um, and um, for, for us as well, yep. for our, in our ministry, um, you know, there is a, uh, even, and I want to say this, even those, you know, for our ministry, we would lean towards, I, I, don't, I don't like to use the word preterist, but even for those who, Make, who believe that uh, the book of Revelation is about uh, the judgment of Old Covenant Israel in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Roman armies. Um, listen, I want to say to this, this segment of, of the listeners that, um, you know, from our side, that even, even if that is, even if you believe that, this, the, the dynamics and the principles of the spiritual realm and, and um, remain the same throughout history because we are still in a battle even if you are for example preterist we are the kingdom of god 
is at war against the kingdoms of this world. The Bible says that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdom of God and his Christ. And so um, that doesn't change uh, the, the different um, principles and dynamics that are at, at work here, including judgment, because King Jesus, he, and I personally believe that King Jesus judges the nations individually based on their reception of the gospel message. If they reject the gospel message, then there is a judgment, um, you know, sowing and reaping, things like that. So I just wanted to put that out there for uh, some of the sure. people, you know. Yeah, and I, and, and I like to tell people in terms of how I approach prophecy so that you can test what I say or you can test any other approaches because prophecy is very confusing for people. And you have to be respectful of all Christians and all people who are approaching uh, Christian doctrine and prophecy. But we also need to give a way for people to say, how do I, other than blind faith in humans, figure out a way to have this make sense um, for yourself? And that's why I like to throw out how I approach it, whether or not people approach it that way or not, they'll understand if they're in disagreement with a few things that I might say, they'll understand why. And so, but the two big things and the biggest weaknesses of approaches that people will use is that they tend to try and apologize for what Jesus said and change what Jesus said based on other verses instead of putting everything around the spirit of prophecy as Revelation calls the word of God. And then the second thing that they do is they ignore inconvenient passages. And I believe all things have to be uh, included and they cannot conflict. So if you can't put all the details together, you need to take a step back and then reassemble it. And so you don't have to worry about being in, am I a, a pre-trib rapture person, a mid-trib rapture person, or am I a preterist, or am I, do I believe that, you know, the revelations, all of the birth pangs are the same, so they happen all at the same time. You don't have to worry about any of that. If you approach scripture in terms of putting everything around what Jesus said and don't ignore inconvenient passages, let it fit, you'll get the answers yourself. And that's the only way you can test people who may be wanting to mislead you, and you can test what I say or not. And so, and typically what happens when people come at me and will say, well, I, you know, I come from this view and what do you say about this? And I put the scriptures back that conflict with their perspective. And I say, what you need to do with where you are is put those in and then arrive at your own conclusion. That's the only way. And you, that's why you need to be really, really adept at scripture and get more into it because we're going into a time that you're going to have to rely on your own instincts because even the elect are going to be deceived if that were possible, as Jesus tells us, and right. they will be deceived, as he says. So we're going to have to get good at script scripture our ourselves. So just there's thought I would, would, but what we, what we don't, on the body, and what we right? don't, yep, absolutely. And what we don't want to do is divide Christians. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's our faith in Jesus as our redeemer, that is our salvation. So, and we need to be respectful in terms of discussions within the church, which I find, you know, the more I, you know, when I got into the media aspect is, is how divisive the church was. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying it's fine to agree to disagree, but understand why you believe what you believe. And then don't apologize for the Bible 
it needs to make sense of itself because it never contradicts itself. And if you understand that, then you'll keep searching and you'll put the pieces together. Yes. And so can you tell, can you tell the audience um, what is prehistory? What exactly is prehistory? Right, that was the question. I, I knew there was another one I need, uh, point I needed to uh, add there. So prehistory is in two parts. Some people might say three, but for simplicity's sake, we're going to say two parts. Um, you have history uh, that happens before the time of recorded and written records, and so everything is brought down in an oral tradition. So prehistory typically will refer to before the flood, and then to the early few hundred years after the flood probably to, you know, beyond Babel and into after the people disperse and Egypt sets up and uh, Nimrod sets up in Sumer or Shinar in Mesopotamia and you start to have some cuneiform records and things like that. So it's before written records. Okay, and, and so then can you take us through um, the so you were going into the word pharmakia, and you began to uh, talk about the, uh, the whole history of modern day medical science. In fact, today, just really quick today, and I was telling you this on the, on the phone uh, earlier, um, you know, I, I was writing a paper and uh, as I was writing, I looked up a word on my app, on my phone, I have the uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary app. And as you know, they have a word of the day and the word of the day, I took a screenshot, the word of the day is actually caduceus which is the, <laughs> it's the stick with the two snakes around it with wings, which, which is also used in, uh, in pharmacia in, you know, pretty much every ambulance on the back of every ambulance is yeah. a uh, caduceus or the rod of Asclepius is the other term for it. But they're essentially, I, I think they're essentially the same. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, it, it's also the same rod that uh, Asclepius, I already, I, I sometimes trip over his name, Asclepius, uh, uh, the god yes. of medicine, right. uh, has that same staff of Hermes. That's right. not a coincidence. And we'll, as we backtrack into this, it, it will start to make sense. And of course, if you don't know who Asclepius is, he's the father of Hippocrates and where the Hippocratic Oath comes from. And right. so this goes back to the demigods and the gods of prehistory who are going to be developing medicine as it is related to the development of what they called in prehistory the seven sacred sciences which we'll get into in, in some detail and so the medical associations if you look at them they will have a dual a single serpent as in the WHO organization or the American and British and um, uh, medical associations as a couple examples, or they'll have a dual serpent motif as other medical associations have. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that we, we need to understand that because it goes back to prehistory, what that symbolism is and how it extends out of these polytheist religions and the development of the sciences. And I also want to say that knowledge isn't evil. Mm -hmm. 
the application of knowledge is, you know, is either used for good or it's used for evil. So I'm not anti-knowledge. It's we need to have the wisdom in the application of knowledge, but knowledge isn't necessarily evil. It's how you use it. And the serpent is also the um, image that uh, goes back to Satan as being the dragon and the serpent out of Revelation. And typically as an angelic being, that's a seraphim, uh, a fiery serpent-faced angel. And Satan would be partially seraphim. He would also be partially cherubim because we can't ignore inconvenient passages as I like to remind people. He is also a cherubim as Ezekiel 28 talks about. And this cherubim, walks amongst the fiery stones as Isaiah 6 talks about the seraphim. Cherubim don't do that. So he is cherubim and he's seraphim and he's also an archangel as you take his name back as his descriptions in the New Testament back to archon and words that are based in where archangel comes from. And I also think he was a priest before the Lord with the nine stones that decorate him and that is less than the 12 of the Levite priesthood. And I think that's representative of that priesthood being taken over and replaced by an immortal or redeemer in the Melchizedek order that is going to resolve the fall of Satan, who was probably archangel, seraphim, cherubim, and high priest before God, before his fall, which shows you how far he fell, and that his imagery is just as Anki, who a lot of people like to compare him to, is uh, represented as a snake, and just as Ta, the Ta, depending on how you want to pronounce that, as the god in Egypt, who is the parallel side to this in, in prehistory in terms of where civilization starts after the flood, and the god of creation before the flood in Egypt, Ali, his glyph would also be a serpent. And a serpent is also represented as wisdom in prehistory. And all of this starts to come together in the iconology of the medical association, how they use that, and how it roots back, and who. Uh, interesting word, who they base their beliefs on. And when you look at that who icon, you have this, uh, these two sheaths, these two uh, almost like Lorraine crosses uh, that goes back into prehistory that goes back to the word crone or even corona, if you want to use that as this Latin understanding. And then you have this serpent that represents um, Satan and the medical association over the world in a background, which is again an allegory for Satan being the prince and the god of this world until his time is up at the end time. And he's going to use the medical association to do things that you normally couldn't do, just as they will use all of the seven sciences in a, in a similar way. And so one of the things that people need to look at if you're trying to figure out what the, who the enemy is, what they're doing is, is that they post all of their beliefs and who they're loyal to within their iconology and the allegories um, mm -hmm. that is out there in plain sight. You just have to understand the language that they're talking in. This is also that, that single 
stick is also an allegory for in, in Gnosticism for the tree of Gnosis or the tree of good and evil as we know it in the book where the Nakash deceives Adam and Eve about eating from the knowledge of the tree and good and evil. And you have that snake who is the Nakash and or being coached by uh, Satan who I don't think actually deceives him because Satan doesn't lose his arms and his legs and lose his speech and his intelligence and isn't forced to crawl on the ground. So I think Satan enters maybe Nakash or coaches him from the side. We know Satan can do that because he does that with Judas uh, to get Judas over the portrayal apex to ensure that Jesus is going to be crucified, which also goes to the understanding that he and the fallen angels didn't realize the resurrection was coming, otherwise they wouldn't have had him crucified, as Corinthians tells us about, but I'm digressing. And where I'm going with this, though, is, is this is also an allegory for the tree of knowledge and the world tree in polytheism, which connects heaven and earth. Uh, so as below, as on high, um, is, is their motto, and they want everything as it's run by Satan, who is the god of this world, done on earth through humans and their human progeny through the descendants of their offspring of the Nephilim, and then as they control the dynasties throughout history. So I think that sort of brings the medical association, I think, into context in terms that they're an extension of the sciences that go back into prehistory. They have an iconology that goes back into polytheism and for control and part of this effort to wipe the Adamites loyal to God and to Jesus off the face of the earth and ensure that we do not reach our destiny, which is to be adopted as brothers through the resurrection by Jesus, to be like angels and to actually judge those fallen angels in the future time. And uh, you mentioned the world tree. Um, and I just want to say about that, you know, we're here in the nation of Latvia and here there's um, some forests. There's actually a, you remember the name of that forest? Mm -hmm. There's a forest here where they have uh, a, a sacred, what they call a sacred tree um, that the people basically worship. And, um, and then you see around the, around the world, um, in, in certain civilizations that there's trees that people worship. And in fact, there were several apostles throughout history. I'm remembering uh, Boniface who went to Germany and he, uh, he uh, confronted, when he was preaching the gospel to one tribe uh, in Germany, he told them that he was going to cut down the tree with an ax. Um, and they almost, you know, I think threatened to kill him. They're like, this is our, you know, we worship this tree. And um, I don't even know if Boniface really fully understood what he was doing, but he ended up cutting down the tree. And when he did that, the, the entire village or the, that tribe ended up receiving salvation. Now, I, I personally understand, I believe and understand that a lot of times, and, and I want to ask you about more about the tr world tree, but the, the you know, the, even um, I know through witchcraft, they, they project um, even the souls of people and parts of people's souls into different you know, like trees or rocks or different even dimensions. And 
I know, I know that with Boniface in Germany, and there was another apostle in Russia that did a similar thing. Um, and then I've heard testimonies out of Africa that when they have cut down these trees, then it's almost like the soul of a nation gets released from captivity and the people are able to receive the light of the gospel. And, um, and uh, so can you, uh, can you just quickly cover the, the, the world tree with, for the audience? Yeah, it, the world tree is uh, a worldwide legacy through polytheism, and it has a similar understanding as the pyramids that reaches into heaven, which is one of the uh, reasons that you know Nimrod was building the ziggurat at Babel. He wanted to build it in, in, into the heaven so that he could actually, according to polytheists, um, you know, put God back in line or uh, kill God or, I mean, all the different things that the polytheists sort of believe. So this is that, that world tree that's part of creation where heaven and, and earth are joined and that the gods interacted with humankind just as they did before the flood and so this 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 tree pops up everywhere because it's the golden age it's the age where um you know people lived for long periods of time it was an age of plenty but then it goes wrong because you have a rebellion that goes on and then you have the flood that comes as it's recorded in all creation myths of and flood myths you know around the world and so we need to understand that those allegories are, 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 are talking about, about the same thing and that we need to know also is that when you're talking about uh, being governed and controlled by these entities, both visible and invisible, um, that once you give power over to them, they control you. Right. So whether or not you you are wanting to take something inside your body or let a demonic spirit or an angel enter into you, they're going to control you. And if you have uh, if you set up a tree as an idol, it has control over you unless that idol is taken down or taken away so that it no longer has control over you. And in a similar way, that's what the powers of the invisible world do through Satan leading it and controlling the whole earth. It's mm -hmm. theirs until the end time is completed. Mm -hmm. and, um, it, and, and let me ask you about, um, do you, what is your knowledge about the Operation Paperclip when the United States government brought over the 1,600 uh, doctors and scientists from the Nazi regime who was involved in occult and illicit research. Yeah, that, that's one of those significant turning points. Um, and we need to sort of backstep in terms of why Operation Paperclip is, is such an important event in terms of how it advanced technologies and in preparation uh, mostly through the United States, but then how that sort of envelops out and around the world with that kind of knowledge. I look at the Nazi regime uh, as and their reign of terror as being analogous for the end time. And so within the Nazi regime, you have a Holocaust or a genocide, and we're going to get 
at minimum of two genocides in the end time. We're going to get one in the first three and a half years. That's a Babylon driven. That's for the people that are shown in Revelation 7. And then you're going to have the ones who are going to take the who are going to refuse to worship Satan, Antichrist, and take the mark of the beast in the last three and a half years and will be resurrected for the millennium at the end of Revelation 20. So two holocausts. You have an Antichrist type figure with Hitler. And you have, uh, you know, Fuhrer basically means Messiah and comes, uh, you know, out of Grail mythology. Uh, Wagner is who they adopt that out of, if my memory serves me correct. And you have a polytheist religion that is called Ariosophy, which is morphed out of Theosophy, which was founded by the Gnostics to become, become the religion that unites um, science in the end time and this is analogous to this Babylon religion that they're establishing in the Nazi regime um, that established the Reich Church uh, in 1933 right so they have Babylon in place they have an Antichrist figure in place and the Nazis are put in business through the, the morphed philosophy and theology of of theosophy and through secret societies. And so they become adepts in the mysteries and they were open about talking to their celestial mafia or their spirit guides or their demons or their aliens or uh, the great white masters, whatever you want to call them, they're called by many things and they're both demon and they're both angelic that they're speaking to. And they were forthright in saying that they received their knowledge from these beings. Oh. This is really, really, really important because that's what they do at the adept level of the secret oh. societies and, and the polytheist religions. And if you look at where Germany was in 1933 when Hitler takes over, they're bankrupt. They have no army. They have no real significant industrial base. They have no significant technology. And in a few short years, they develop a blitzkrieg strategy that comes out of nowhere, that revolutionizes mobile war. They come up with the Panzer tank and the Tiger tank, which all tanks are modeled on after today, which totally revolutionizes tank warfare. And you know they couldn't produce enough of them fast enough they come up with jet technology out of nowhere. They come up with rocket technology out of right. nowhere. They develop this bell thing that disappears that people think might have actually been a way to trend, you know, go through time or through portals. Nobody really knows what it is, but it was a significant technology that if the Americans have it in their um, database, they haven't released to us what, what that was. And this happened in a very short period of time and absolutely eclipsed what everybody else had on Earth. And the Allies had to catch up. And they say this knowledge came from their spiritual masters. So this was, I think, designed to ramp up the Nazis so that they could institute their version of the New Age, their counterfeit millennium, their thousand-year reign or their fourth Reich, as some people like to talk about it, um, to wrap it up so that they could take over the world through war, which I don't think the end time will be. I think it'll be, you know, set up for Antichrist to take over. 
and to have a technology that will convince humans that they could actually stand up against the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think World War II is completely analogous to the end time with all of those points of references. And there's a lot to learn there to anticipate what's going to uh, become of, uh, you know, what's going to take place in the end time. And remember, Hitler is thought to be one of another Rosicrucian secret society member, Nostradamus, is one of his three antichrists. And he's the second antichrist, with Napoleon being the first. And so, again, I think there's a lot of uh, reference points there that we need to have a look at. And so this technology that has now come to the U.S., you know, developed all of the uh, rocket programs to go to the moon or in satellites and things like that, and the single uh, wing comes out of... Uh, for the airplanes, for stealth technology, comes out of uh, Nazi technology as well. And I think we're they're ramping up the technology in preparation for the end time to do what I just talked about, to make that stand against God, and to get us to the same point as we were at in the time before the flood. And in the days of Noah, Jesus talks about, where these seven sciences were developed, and then interacted and meshed with the forbidden knowledge from heaven and for the fallen angels or the gods of polytheism that uh, set them on a track for rebellion and apocalypse by water, where the end time will be apocalypse by fire. And they were able to do things that we can't do today as part of a manifestation of what that technology that looks like that survives, like the pyramids, build the pyramids, build Machu Picchu, build these great, perhaps these great cities that we see underwater right now, um, that secular history is not being honest and telling us and accounting for how these things are and when they were made. And we're just approaching that level of technology now. And so that would be another sign for me as to why we're in that fig tree generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, I, I have right here a screenshot I took last night. Um, from, I was Googling something and then this ad popped up, this article, and it, it's from the ShengenVisaInfo.com. And it says here that um, the COVID-19 test results and later on, vaccination will be required for Schengen visa application. For those of you uh, watching, the Schengen zone is, is just the countries in the EU that are, um, uh, it, it is basically talking about travel to the EU. I know a lot of Americans don't even own passports, so they're probably like, what's Schengen? But um, it, it even says that, um, so basically all, all travel to the EU has been um, right now pushed back till, to September and, uh, and then going forward, um, applicants to get to travel to EU are going to, at the minimum, it already says at a minimum, are going to be required to uh, not only undergo invasive testing for, for COVID-19, but then uh, when a vaccine does uh, become available, the, it will be mandatory to even travel to the uh, EU. Um, now, I came across, and I talked about in my article, I came across the... Um, the research of uh, Harvard professor, Dr. Charles Lieber, who, um, you know, basically created the, the ability to weaponize vaccines. 
and, and where these vaccines contain a nanotech payload, um, which fits right into what Elon Musk and Bill Gates and others have been uh, talking about with the, uh, where they want to um, uplink the human body to a computer network. Um, and they will basically, I mean, imagine if your body's injected with this vaccine and then there's these nanoparticles in, inside of your system that are then uplinked into a computer network. I mean, that's, that's stuff out of the movies. Um, that's absolutely insane. Yeah, and want to make sure I explain this in a way that, that people um, understand it. So this, you know, when we talk about leading into the beast system, and there's three different kinds of references to beast, and I'm going to explain that in a second. But the beast system, which most people will say, you know, controls everything, and it ends up being that mark of the beast, and connected into the mark of the beast was, you know, where it's all headed. That's the system. And it's good to talk about what that system is look like in its development. It's not good to try and totally pinpoint what it's going to look like at the end because it's still developing and we won't know exactly what it looks like until we see the end product that's incorporated into the, the mark of the beast. But it is AI as it looks like it's developing and it is nanotechnology and quantum mechanics as it all starts to come together that's gonna to be part of this beast system that is likely to be injected into the body as they were talking about um, at Davos two years ago with a chip that has the ability to release nanotechnology and nanobots and be able to medicate, fix, repair, give you that uh, first part of the equation to immortality or godhood in the physical world, which the first pillar is immortality. That means they're going to have to create a body that can last longer, have replacement parts, so uh, humanism, transhumanism, and or cloned parts or and or clone bodies and a preference of um, transferring your spirit. Uh, they'll say soul, uh, but there's spirit, soul, and body. And we need to understand the differences and that only Jesus and God can separate the spirit from the soul. So we need to be very, very careful in terms of how we understand the propaganda that they're going to pitch. But this is going to be that B system. And people, and they, and they blatantly said, in Switzerland at Davos that people will want this and demand this for better health. And, but people won't demand it. It will be partially by demand, but mostly by imposing. And once they get those things into your body, they can start to change your DNA. And we have to be very, very careful of what that means in terms of, as we talked about, permitting things to come into us that can control us and also measuring that against what it says about the mark of the beast that not only those who take the mark but those who worship antichrist or worship satan will be cast into the lake of fire so you don't have to take it but if you violate the laws of creation and which seems to be tied to blaspheming or violating the holy spirit and that seems to be connected to um, the physical body and what it does, just as you have the creation of the giants before the flood is one of those violations of creation. And 
the people who did it, the fallen angels, and the people who take the mark or worship Satan or worship Antichrist, they all have the same fate of going into the lake of fire, not for the second death, but to be there forever, then we have to be very, very careful of how far we're prepared to go and where we draw a line of where we can't go in terms of accepting medical health. And so it's important to understand that. Now, just to clarify what I was talking about earlier, which is more than just the beast system. And again, it's why you have to include all the prophecies, all the relative verses. Um, it's just so important, is that the beast is also the beast empire. And the beast empire is part of the beast empire's past, as described in Daniel, like um, the metallic dynasties in Dan Daniel 2. So I'm talking about, you know, Babylon, Persia, uh, Greece, Rome, and the future empire. And then Antichrist is another empire after that. And then you get the beast empires described in Revelation 7. And you also have Revelation 8, which all tie in perfectly with Revelation 13 and 17 in its imagery. In fact, you get some of that imagery. And I also think that the, uh, the seven uh, hydra-looking beast monster, or a dragon or a serpent monster, which is the beast empires, uh, as run by the descendants of the Raphaim after the flood and the Nephilim before the flood, um, and that these, these empires extend out of that, and even the last empire, which is why we need to understand who the empires are and what type of beings that they were and understanding the beast empire of the last time, we need to understand that that is part of what the beast is, okay? So we have the beast system, we have the beast empires, and then we have the one who is going to be the leader over the empire in the, in the last three and a half years, as Daniel talks about, in the middle of the seven, um, at the abomination when he's going to be crowned with what I think is going to be the crown of Jerusalem, which goes down another rabbit hole, which goes back into the secret societies and the bloodlines, but he's going to be crowned as the king of Jerusalem as part of his scion drafting into the bloodlines with uh, King Saul. I have all of this in my book, by the way, and um, is going to be the beast, right? So he's the beast as well. And then you also have a false prophet who's classified as a beast. So don't let people talk to you about anyone as being the beast. They have to be more clear on that and they need to take into account all of that because they all are working together to fulfill prophecy. So this is important. This is a significant piece that's going to be in place in terms of the beast system for when Antichrist comes to power and that they will worship the image of the beast and will not be able to buy and sell and will take this mark of the beast. So that's where it is, that development stage for where it's going. Okay, so, and the, um, if you could share with the audience, um, some, some I'll, I'll be honest with you, I mean, because we're, we're also broadcasting live on Facebook and uh, many of the, of, uh, the people on here, um, you know, they're, they're uninformed about the occult and let me just say this go and get gary wayne's book on amazon um it's it's uh it's called genesis 6 conspiracy and then your website is can you uh, share your website again the website is genesis6conspiracy.com that's genesis 6 with the number 6 conspiracy.com on the website by the way there's a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters so you can get a very good feel of what's in the book 
And if it's not available on Amazon overseas, go to um, the buy, buy now icon, go to buy from author, and I will ship overseas at the same price and I'll, I make up the difference to ship overseas um, at the US price. So if you go to the US page, fill that out, you can get a signed copy and I'll do it for the same price I ship to the US for. Thank you. And you know, um, for a lot of people watching are unfamiliar with your research, your work and, um, and the occult societies in general, some, some are very even skeptical uh, of it. Uh, of, of this even being uh, true. And um, could you go into some, a little bit of detail about the specific uh, societies and organizations that are um, behind the, um, and you already have shared a lot of detail, but you know, uh, yep. that are behind right now the- um, So, yeah, so we need to understand, first of all, that Masonic history and according to Masonic patriarchs, and understand there's a difference between Mason and Freemasonry. Freemasonry is a modern arm of an ancient Masonic organization. Okay, okay. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll come back to that. But understand that, and I'll, and I'll walk people through in my book that this um, ancient Masonic organization begins before the flood. It begins after, and this is their accounts, and Albert Mackey um, discusses it in detail, and not that you have, you know, we have access to a full polychronicon of their ancient oral histories, but they have it. Um, and what we learn from the secret societies and their records is that they believe that uh, Adam was taught a lot of knowledge in Eden. And biblically, what we do know is that Adam would have been taught a lot of things by God, being his creation, and was to be the agrarian in the Garden of Eden, and needed to be taught all things that were required to do all sorts of farming um, and agriculture, and so he would have been taught a lot of knowledge. Right. And this knowledge is retained with Adam once he leaves um, Eden after the fall, and then they have two sons. And of course, Cain um, kills Abel, but both Cain and Abel were taught all of this knowledge according to polytheist records by Adam. But Cain now goes to the land of Nod, and interestingly enough, he finds a wife, mysteriously, a uh, rabbit hole, Bible isn't in conflict, don't have time to talk about that today, uh, and he builds a city. City for who? That's not the point where I'm talking about. There's this technology to build a city. And that's reflective of part of this knowledge that uh, the polytheists are talking about. And he names the first city after Enoch or Hanok, which is thought to be the transliteration of Uruk out of Sumerian history. And Enoch then takes this knowledge because Cain teaches all of this knowledge learned from Adam and passes it on to Enoch. And Enoch develops this knowledge in significant ways and divides them into seven sacred sciences, as they like to call it, which we understand it as today in the university system of grammar, rhetoric, dialectics, uh, arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. And all the sciences, including the medicine, streams out of this. And I'll get back to that in the connection there in, in, in a few minutes. And with the development of this, he developed, he 
develops a mystical religion called Enochian mysticism that the Essenes uh, worship. And so you need to understand that that's a red flag about Essenes and they're not the same thing as what we would understand what a Nazarite is. They have a completely different meaning. Again, I explain all of that in, 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 in the book. And he also creates with this, within this mysticism, the sun worshiping aspect of, of, of mysticism and the bull cult before the flood. And he's all going to teach this through the degrees that's part of mysticism, that's part of secret societies. And to develop this, the specific disciplines of the sciences, he sets up the mystery schools that come down through history that the secret societies uh, take their history from. And the mystery schools, and the development of this knowledge is when masonry is first developed before the flood in the time of Enoch. And then it has a renaissance in the time of Lamech, um, again, from the, from the lineage of Cain. And for people who aren't aware of it, there are two Enochs, one from the line of Cain, one from the line of Seth, and there are two Lamechs, and many of the names are similar. And again, I'll cover that all off in the book. And of course, Tubal Cain is one of the Masonic great patriarchs. Nama is for thwarting and creating giants. You have Jabal. With, with the A who, is, who developed masonry in the ancient time from Enochian knowledge. And this is the knowledge that developed all of those great sites and the technology that merged with the gods that, that, that we were talking about. This is the ancient organization that comes, around, comes down through history, which is part of that organizational structure of that mystical religion by Enoch, which is Babel, which is the religion that crosses the flood, that resurfaces at Babel, which we talk about, which is talked about in the Bible, about as working together as one people, nothing will be prevented from them. Hermes finds this knowledge. He takes it back to Nimrod partners with Nimrod, they set up another end time archetype with a false prophet and a antichrist figure in Nimrod and they're rebelling against God and he's trying to build this pyramid into heaven and it's representative of this knowledge and that's the allegory for the Babylon religion is the Enochian mysticism that crosses the flood that is resurged from Babel. This is all coming out of polytheist history and I'm just matching it up in terms of what the Bible has warned us about if we understand what the adversaries are talking about and doing. So this knowledge comes down through the mystery schools and through builder guilds um, and through the Dionysian builders uh, to shortcut the history and then down through the, uh, the Roman collegia and the molding in of Gnostics into the uh, Catholic Roman Church after Manichaeism, Mithraism, uh, and all the polytheist Gnostic religions are pushed underground, they will mold themselves in in an Essene type of monastic order, which are people like the Cistercians and the Augustines and the Franciscans and all the different orders. Those are where they mold into, and they mold into the builder guilds, which comes together with the ancient masons of the bloodlines and the royalty, like uh, de Bouillon, Godfrey de Bouillon, who to pay on, uh, Henry de St. Clair, who's not listed amongst the, the nine, but is part of the, the greater number of the Sinclairs and the Rollo bloodline, the Anjou who produced the Plantagenet, they're all nobles and or Cistercian monks, which are all working together that form the Knights Templar, 
in 1090 and crown their first king of Jerusalem with Baldwin II in a small priory in Jerusalem on, uh, as the king of Jerusalem, which we talked about earlier, which is part of that bloodline. And note that the Bourbon family, uh, king Philip of Spain is the current king of Jerusalem. So, and keep all of that in mind for the end time as well. But uh, shortcutting this is that Anjou, de Payan, de Boulian, and all the bloodlines that are in there go back to the last survivor of the Merovingians, which was Dagobert, uh, and they take their bloodlines back to the Raphaim as they migrate out of the Middle East with the royal dynasties and have been ruling a feudal system ever since. And they want to get the West back to that feudal system uh, that was there before. Bringing that forward to the modern secret societies happens uh, beginning in about 1188 where you have a split of the inner core of adepts who are all Gnostics and Masons um, because they lose Jerusalem in 1187 and they feel the Templars have lost their way. They're going to resurface up as Rosicrucians shortly thereafter and they're going to uh, set up Ordo Draconis or the Sarkon Iran to put uh, dynasties back on the thrones as they're being pushed off in, in Central Europe and to develop the pursuits of thought which ignites the Renaissance. Can understand this cult of knowledge. It's all part of what, what they do. But in 1307 the Templars are disbanded by the Catholic Church and the King of France. So they're going to reorganize. They already have the Rosicrucians that are working and now they're going to reorganize but they're not going to be as centralized because the Templars were the most powerful organization on the earth but they were taken down so they, they set up the Illuminati uh, to destroy Christianity and to focus on world government they set up Freemasonry to control politics and to control the the military um, they set up uh, on the Rosicrucians. What they do is, and they're they're at the apex, at the cross crossing point to the pure bloods above them. They're fifty percent. The upper half of the Rosicrucians are pure bloods. Uh, the other ones come up through these lower societies. Uh, the Rosicrucians they keep the history, they keep the beliefs, they work on the arts, they work on the media, they provide the information to the propaganda for all of our literature and, and entertainment. They create, they they have nurtured Gnosticism, developed Theosophy, which morphed into uh, the New Age, which is their religion that is going to bridge science and religion in the end time. So understand that they're promoting the New Babylon, which was the goal of the Knights Templar, as it's written down in their. Uh, records by the master Rosalind. And again, I have some documentation on that. If people want to get a hold of me on that, I'll, I'll send that to you. And so this is this is uh, their part of the agenda. And and all of these other groups report into them. They also recreated the Rothschilds for the banking arm that um, needed to be replaced because the Templars were a huge banking arm. And then they'll replace that within the church as well, which I'll get to in, in a second. And so you also have um, the Royal Society, which is created between 1660 with the charter, I think in 1662, which is created by the Freemasons and the uh, Rosicrucians. And they're set up to do the same things that was done 
before the flood with Enochian mysticism and mystery schools. And that was to lead people away from God. Number one goal. Number two goal is to degrade God. Number three goal is not give God credit for anything. Number four is to create monuments and buildings to honor their pantheon of gods. And the Royal Society is the organization that all education and science pays homage to today. They classified themselves as the last of the sorcerers. We talked about sorcerers earlier at the Medical Association. And also right. understand that the Essenes and all of these organizations were heavily um, into medicines and things like that. And also worked into the rituals to create transcendental states to communicate with um, their their masters but the the rosicrucian or the royal society is still that society that everybody answers to today in terms of science and universities and things like that the jesuits were set up in afterwards to get a better foothold within the catholic church and they were actually called the New Templars by the Rosicrucians, who actually tried to get the Templars set up in 1317. The church says, yes, but none of you are going to be in control. We're going to put our own people in control. They disappear. These were the invisible 33 that met with them. These are the Rosicrucians. It's also part of that hierarchy, um, which is important in understanding the hierarchy of the secret societies, and I'll frame it all back in a second. But they're going to create the Jesuits later as the New Templars to recreate the banking arm, get control, control of the education, and to produce the new Babylon within the Catholic Church for the end time. So when Ignatius of Loyola, who has a vision from Mary, um, just as Mary visions follow much of the Gnostic um, leaders, they may have it depicted a little bit differently, but he is going to re re change the church by his commission that's given to him. And then he's going to be sponsored by uh, uh, one of the Borgia family. And Borgia is a descendant of some of the popes named Borgia and part of the black nobility that controlled um, some of the, the hierarchy of the priesthood and the black mobility are these bloodlines. There's a larger black mobility, that's the larger group. You have the Italian black nobility, and then you have the black nobility as part of the bloodlines that are involved with the Catholic Church. Now, in uh, about 1527 to 30 or so, as, as my memory recalls, Borgia, uh, through the Montessa order, is going to start funding and sponsoring Ignatius of Loyola. The Montessa order takes control of the Templar assets in Spain after the fall of the Templars so that that wealth is kept in control and there's other orders and organizations that, that gobble up the, uh, uh, the assets of the Templars so the French king nor the Catholic Church get it, get it just as a lot of the money goes to Switzerland where the hospitalitors, a sister organization, are already set up, which is why you have uh, the, the, the cross with the Swiss being the same as the hospitalers and why you have banking there, and I'll come back to that in a, in a, in a second. And so Borgia becomes the third grand master or the third leader of the Jesuits in 1570. 
and getting control of the Jesuits through the bloodlines, because he's part of the black nobility and the Montessa order is part of this organizational order of bloodline organizations that now gets control of the Jesuits and they get control of all of the education, all of the theology, uh, you know, training of all of the priests. They also will move with the King of Spain to get control of the banking and then transfer that over to Switzerland to unite it with that money from the Templars. So you have the Jesuits that are working um, together on, on that aspect. So what these organizations have through the Royal Society and through the Jesuits control of all education around the world and control of all of the sciences and all of the universities is taking their doctrines, their philosophy. Philosophy comes from grammar, rhetoric, and dialectics. And philosophy is the theology behind the development of the sciences. Uh, and it is believed to be greater than the specific sciences because it harmonizes them and points them in a specific direction. And it is uh, what leads to the development of technology that has the capability of destroying the world but directed by their philosophy of reason over faith, faith representing the belief in the God of the Bible, reason representing um, the development of philosophy and, and the sciences. And so... The, so, the gatekeepers, so the gatekeepers that are, um, you know, of the education, the academia, are, you mentioned the groups, you mentioned uh, the Jesuits, mm -hmm. and you mentioned... And the other groups are just for the viewers, just to um, just give a, a brief summary. Yeah. So, so the Rosicrucians. Rosicrucians. Yep. Illuminati. Yep. Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. Jesuits. Yeah. The Rothschilds, uh, who were created for the banking arm, they changed their name from the Bauer family to the Rothschilds in 1812 to 1814 when they set up the London Bank, and mm -hmm. and the Jesuits in, inside the church, and so as you look at this hierarchy now, imagine a tree. Mm -hmm. a world tree mm -hmm. that's going to be answering to the gods up top and imagine branches that are moving in. So look at Freemasonry as the introductory platform to educate people in occultism and below mm -hmm. 33rd degree of the Scottish Rite or in the old mystical system, the third degree of the York Rite, uh, you become adept at that level. And then at that level, you're eligible to become Illuminati if you're invited but you are enlightened, you are illuminated. And there are many degrees above three. And it's important to understand in terms of this hierarchy. Most people just understand the standard 33rd degree and the, th and the th uh, third degree. So the Illuminati are at the sort of the center, the adept level of Freemasonry. And then above them are the uh, Rosicrucians. And the bottom half, they can be new money, they can be people with talent, but all of these people are invited. So you kind of take it that they probably have bloodlines or they're just using them. But the upper half is, is the Rosicrucian um, pure blood representatives. And above the Rosicrucians are the Committee of 300, which is all pure bloods. And then above the Committee of 300, you have the Council of 33, the invisible 33 that we're discussing, as I mentioned earlier, reestablishing the Templars within the church, but they couldn't come to the agreement. And so they 
got at that through the Jesuits. That's why the Royal College is also called the Invisible College, because it's set up by Rosicrucians and Freemasons. Above the 33 families are the, uh, the 13 families. And when I talk about the 13 families, that's the 13 Western families. There are other bloodlines around the world, but that's, uh, that's another rabbit hole. Now, if you can imagine organizations that are outside on the perimeter at different levels, they all intersect into that hierarchical organizational structure starting at the Mason, at the Freemasonic level, right? And the more the purebloods are involved, the higher up that they're going to intersect. So let's say you can look at the Jesuits are going to intersect into the Rosicrucian, sure. as well as people who are still running and part of the black nobility in the church, they'll intersect into the orders that are all pure bloods um, that sure. are above the Rosicrucians. And you've got, uh, you know, orders like the Seraphim order, which is the Norse one, um, and uh, organizations like that and the Montessa order and um, several other orders that are all pure blood orders, right? And they're intersecting in above the Rosicrucians. So now when you have an organization, let's say like the Club of Rome, which was created in the late 60s, it has pure bloods mostly in it. So yeah, typically they're gonna intersect into the committee of 300 Although some people think it's into the Rosicrucians, but if it's to the Rosicrucians, it would be the upper half. So they're a very high order. And the Club of Rome was designed to split the world up into 10 groups of nations, 10 spheres of influence, 10 trading blocks, 10 empires, whatever you want to call it, which is the same number as Daniel talks about with the 10 kings of the end time, the 10 horns. Um, and the same as Revelation 13 and 17 are referring to for, for the end time. So they were proiting up because that's part of the, the bloodlines who control all of these orders, which all is part of that organizational structure of the bloodlines and the polytheist religions and the development of the sciences to control the people. And another example which people like to ask about would be is the Bilderbergers. Well, there's two parts to the Bilderbergers. There's the uh, pure blood side that meets alone and then you have people like Bill Gates who are the new money that are meeting in below or Bill Clinton or all those other people who are given marching orders that would uh, that they go out every year to fulfill and then the pure bloods of the Bilderbergers report back into the committee of 300. Okay so the so the um so the term pure blood refers to these royal bloodlines that are part yes. of the committee of 300. Yes, and, the, what, and their pure blood is their genealogies or their bloodlines that they have genealogies that they take them back to the Nephilim and the Rephilim, Rephaim as the divine representatives, as the demigods, as the offspring of the fallen angels or the gods and their divine right to rule. And the pure of that bloodline, which is why they need the genealogies, is where you fit in that uh, organizational structure. And so it's important that they keep track of that and that they scion in other blood bloodlines to enhance their nobleness, which again helps them in their placement in the, in the hierarchy. 
So, and, and um, so for example, the, you mentioned like Bill Gates, Clintons, um, they're the new money. They just are basically surrogates of these, these purebloods. Yes, they're stable of agents. And what they're looking to do in terms of Bill Gates or Bill Clinton or a host of other ones, just use those ones because they're a good Trump. Yeah. They're looking to, uh, and Trump is kind of gone rogue on them because he doesn't, he's not getting what he wants. That's what's really going on there. So, uh, but he does come out of that. Let me, let me, I just wanted to finish my point and then get the question and uh, otherwise I'll forget about it. Um, what they get for helping these organizations is the opportunity to intermarry into the bloodlines, which you might be now starting to make sense of the term pseudo blue bloods. Right, they're the outside, the mundane, intermarrying into the divine, the demigods, and will be able to do that over generations and climb up that hierarchy over time, just as the Bauer family did, who became the Rothschilds. But the Rothschilds are not part of the thirteen. You need to understand that that thirteen, oh. these are direct bloodlines that would go back. You might imagine. Uh, you know, the Windsor family as being part of the bloodlines, you know, it goes back to the Hanovers, which goes back to the, to the Scythians. Um, Anjou would be one of those pure bloodlines. Um, St. Clair would be one of those pure bloodlines, going back to the, the Swedish gods. And names like that, um, and keep an eye obviously on Habsburg Lorraine because they had the King of Jerusalem title and the Habsburg were a significant bloodline and then, in, in then intersected with the Lorraine dynasties, understand that de Payon, de Bouillon and Anjou had their realms in Lorraine, France. And so as that King of Jerusalem time passed down, it passed over to the Habsburg dynasty with the Habsburg Lorraine dynasty and the King of Jerusalem title following with them. So follow that King of Jerusalem title might give us directionally where who that Antichrist is going to be. It's, it's not necessarily given by uh, sonship. It can cross dynasties, but there always has to be a bloodline connection to the acceptance of that title. Ooh. And so you're saying that now, uh, Trump is has gone rogue and that they're unable to uh, get him to play ball? Well, he is playing ball. He's just not playing ball how they want him to play ball. And it just shows you the power they have to try and crush almost anybody. And he seems to be, Trump seems to be a, a bigger opponent than what um, they would have liked. And, but we need to understand what Trump is looking for is a bigger role for his family and a bigger role for the United States in the 10 empires of the end time. He's not saying they're not gonna be part of it. He's not saying he is against globalism. Everything when he talks about America first is to give them a larger role, right? So when he makes Jerusalem the capital, he moves forward the the, the, the prophetic agenda and the globalist agenda. When he completes a deal with, let's say, and, and actually finishes the deal with China, 
he didn't reel back in from global trade. He's just given them a better position. When he's dealing with NATO, he's not withdrawing from NATO. He wants a larger position. And that's what he's trying to do. In the meantime, you know, Christians are benefiting from, at least he's giving Christians protection at this point in time, but I wouldn't look at him as being our savior. I just, you know, right. you know he's got his right. own agenda in mind and he would be akin and not to make any connection with um, him being in bed with, and I'm talking about Putin now, but Putin is classified with Trump for the same reasons and why they try and match them together. Putin mm -hmm. is looking for a larger role in the formation of this 10 king empire of the end time. Not that he's saying I'm not wanting to be part of it. I want a bigger role. Mm -hmm. That's what he's doing. Also have an interesting document for people if they want to track Putin back to his bloodlines that mysteriously show up with his grandfather and how Putin goes back to the Putyanin and to the original czars of the Ukraine. Got a great document on that to show you that uh, he may be lower uh, bloodline and that may be one of the designations in Daniel 2 where you have you know the ten toes um, which, which are iron and clay and the interesting um, verse in Daniel 243 where the descendants of the metallic dynasties the Raphaim are going to intermix with the seed of men or mingle with the seed of men which is really kind of interesting so they may not be all purebloods that are ruling the end time but uh, they're still going to be controlling it because there's that intermingling that is interesting. And then you've got the 10 toes on, on two different feet that may show that separation and with the iron and, and, and the clay. So it won't be a totally symbiotic um, uh, union and it doesn't last very long because you have the Gog War, the Joel 1 and 2 War, and Revolution, Revelation 9 War taking place just before the midpoint of the last seven years and that overwhelming army that Daniel is talking about is wiped away before the Antichrist and I think he uses that as his counterfeit Armageddon to deceive people to institute a peace and then sends his armies in as Luke talks about around Jerusalem for the for the abomination and so he'll come in like Jesus does at Armageddon and he needs to do that. He needs to counterfeit everything to uh, say, hey, I'm the real Messiah, not Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think it's, I think you've given us a tremendous wealth of information to digest and, and, and uh, those watching, you'll probably have to go back and rewatch it a couple of times. Um, and, and, uh, you know, go and get um, Gary Wayne's book, Genesis 6 Conspiracy, on his website, which is Genesis, the number six, and it's .com, right? It is. And so if people want some, uh, some information, um, I do have, I don't cover the Jesuits in the book, so I have a four-part series on the Jesuits, which uh, walks you step-by-step step in who they are and what their formations are. I have some nice documents as well. I can send, you just get hold of me through the website, through my email. I've got documents on what, how uh, Freemasons view the seven sacred sciences and how masonry does, how that mixes in with their religion. Got nice documents on that. Uh, I don't cover the cross of Lorraine 
and the seraphim order in the book but i've got uh, a series of documents on that if you want more information on that on how that sort of connects in um, and uh, i have a lot of documents so if you name a topic i might have it i'll send it to you okay great and we'll post the uh the link to your website in the comment section on, on our facebook live and and um well, it's been about 90 minutes or so. Um, was there any uh, closing remarks? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of things and probably uh, a lot of this might be new to people. And a lot of it sounds very, very out there in terms of, wow, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of interesting connections but how could something be that big that large that old and actually be real and right. and i get that um but once you open your eyes to their history and how they present their history and how they're preparing us for the end time you'll start to see very very quickly how pervasive everything is and so let me just give, I mean, literature is inundated with it in terms of their dragon and fairy mythologies, uh, all of their allegories, uh, in terms of, you know, even the vampire stories, uh, their, their science uh, fiction, it all has their genealogies, their histories and their belief systems encoded in there. And a good example in terms of how it reaches into education, just think about our, our education system. So you have um, different grade levels, which are like degrees at the mundane level, right? And then you move into university. But even when you graduate there, you get these black gowns that are very ritualistic. And then right. you get a diploma or a, decree, a degree. And then you mm -hmm. get a master's degree in university and a PhD mm -hmm. for your doctorate degrees right well these degrees and master comes out of polytheism and mystical religions and so if you look at freemasons it, when you have a grand master that's an adept at the third degree level mm -hmm. right and then on the universities you have all of these greek and roman and egyptian architecture reflecting their right. history and yeah. they have snakes and things entering into libraries and yeah. they do everything in plain sight. We just don't question all of this because we've been brainwashed not to. Right. But yeah. once you start to open your eyes a little bit, you see it everywhere. Yes, yes. It's, yeah, and that's it's... the point I'm trying to get across is just to plant seeds Mm -hmm. to start preparing christians for how right. we're going to be deceived and they are going to attack jesus and discredit him as being a mortal prophet they don't want to destroy christianity as a whole because they want to fold it into the universal religion and right. they're going to hit that hard and they're going to attack the bible and paul because mm -hmm. they'll say paul is the one who um made jesus into a deity status uh, that's their belief system and they're going to manipulate through interpretive contrived preconceived 
viewpoints using selective biblical passages to deceive the Christians. Wow. Yeah. Which is why we need to get better at what they're doing. It will be an assault on Christianity and the propaganda, unlike anything we've ever seen before, matched with all the turmoil of the birth pangs that we talked about earlier in the show. You need to put on the full armor of God, and that means you need to be at a level where you can recognize what they're doing and not be deceived. And that's to the point, start planting seeds on that so that people can start to prepare as they start to see some of these things come together. And I don't believe I'm a prophet, so I'm not uh, there as, you know, talking as a prophet. I'm not talking there that I feel I have this special commission as an apostle because I don't believe I have that. What I am doing is communicating information based on the research that I've been led to, to research and find and try and communicate that as best as I can in a topic that is so huge and has so many arms that go everywhere, but to try and communicate it in a way that starts to make some sense for people because I think we're in that fig tree generation that we talked about. Yes. And we've even in the last couple of weeks, we uh, talked about the uh, Rockefeller funded World Council of Churches, uh, how they weaponized uh, the false uh, interpretation of Romans 13 to yep. attempt to manipulate and, and, and castrate the pulpits to get them to come under the thumb of the government. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that's, that's, we, we're seeing the manifestation of that right now with uh, even the fight between churches that are attempting to continue to have services and, uh, you know, and the, and the government that's saying, no, like you guys have to shut down. Yeah. It's uh that work world council of churches, you know, their whole philosophy, which is their theology is to have all churches compromise their doctrine. Mm. That's, compromise not only just intended for the different sects of Christianity, but all other religions. Because the only way they can have a true union of churches is if everybody's prepared to compromise. So once you start to water down the Bible in any sort of way, just as you're talking about with Romans um, uh, in terms of, of, of government and the hierarchy where the church and the government fit in, um, this is one of those clear signs that they're working on it. And, and, you know, I get a lot of people to say, well, you know, the Roman church isn't part of it. Well, they're not a member, but they assign a massive amount of resources in working with the world council of churches in preparation for this. And they're already starting to fold the Anglican and other Protestant churches in under their umbrella, not maybe totally legally and officially, but in a strategic partnership let's put it that way and they're talking to the muslims and they're talking to the buddhists and all the other religions to bring about this formalization of the universal church which is going to take some false prophets to bring that about with contrived prophecies of disaster that they can take credit for fulfilling to to bring this about lest we be um 
destroyed from the face of the earth, so the Babel syndrome, look for that to become very, very popular. And you're seeing that in the theology of all the organizations, whether or not it's greenhouse gases or overpopulation or famine. You know, if we don't come together as one, we're going to destroy ourselves from the face of the earth. It's all homogenized by, by that complete, uh, consistent doctrine that is always you know, again, those things that sort of stand out if you can look through through the haze. And we have a Jesuit priest mm-hmm. in place for the first time, who I do not believe is Antichrist and who I do not believe is false prophet. Uh, I think he's probably too old, but he could be the last Pope. Pope Francis. As he's talked, yeah, as, as it's talked about in the Malachi prophecies in terms of the number. He's also, interestingly enough, called uh, by uh, or predicted by Nostradamus, a Rosicrucian, that the last pope would be the black pope. The black pope, and I understand that the Jesuits report to the Rosicrucians, the leader of the Jesuits is a black pope, not black skin, black pope. And for the first time, we have a black pope leading the church. And Black Pope, for, for those of you who don't know, because like my audience, is, a lot of them are just oblivious to this terminology, Black Pope is referring to a, a Jesuit. Um, yes. And, and, and the Jesuit order. So yes. go on Wayne Gary Wayne's website. I've pinned the, the, uh, his website uh, in the comment section, and you can uh, read his document that he has there about the Jesuits, and, and it's a four-part uh, series that he's done. And, and, and um, yes. So, yeah, thank, thank you so much for your time and your, thank you for paying the price um, to, I know that it's, uh, you, you pay a price when you bring forth this, this, tr- the truth in, um, you know, into the open. And um, how, how many years have you been uh, researching all of this? Well, I started uh, researching in, about 1980 or 81. Wow. And, and yep. it was because somebody challenged me to read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. It was way oh. ahead of his time. Um, didn't, didn't have everything right, but still way ahead of his time. And it scared the socks off of me. And so I wanted to see whether or not what he was saying was accurate. And I'm a contrarian, so I like to verify everything myself. I don't listen to what other people say. I may consider it. And I also don't listen to what people might say about what something says. I want to verify it myself. That's my definition of a Christian contrarian that I like to call call myself. And I also have a show that I do with a, a Christian contrarian on Renegade Radio twice a month. So anybody's interested, um, check that out. Uh, so anyways, um, the more I started to get back into the Bible, cause I had walked away, I had been brainwashed and believed in evolution and, and I took up, but I took up this challenge. And what I found was from a layman's perspective is that, you know, it didn't look like he was manipulating the Bible. The passages that he was talking about were there and what he said made sense with what I started to see around, but I wanted to verify it completely. That started me on my path back to God. And what I did was I, over the next, uh, you know, 20 years, I was just writing down each prophecy narrative, doctrine narrative, 
and putting them into files so that I could collect all the passages because I was taught um, to say to and believe that in schools that the Bible was inaccurate, it was a false history, it contradicted itself. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't being led down by somebody manipulating me. And that's why I learned to put all the passages together so that I have a way of testing what somebody says. And as I did that, that took over 20 years. And then as I got into the late 90s, I thought, you know, I want to see whether, because I have like 15 prophecy books I'd like to put out. I'm working on one right now with Second Exodus, which I'm struggling to make time for. So I need to find a way to make a little bit more time to get that one out, because I think that's really important to understand Judah lost Israel and where it fits in the, in, in the end time. Um, but I wanted to write a short book to see whether it get published, to see whether people would buy it see whether it would make any sense. So I thought, what can I write in terms of what I researched, uh, which would be a short book. And I thought, well, geez, I came across these really strange passages as I documented everything about these giants in Genesis 6. And then you get these other giants after the flood and you got the Rephaim and they keep showing up and all these other tribes that don't go back to the table of nations. And, and then you get demons and fallen angels in the New Testament and in Revelations. And I thought, okay, I got enough here. I can probably link this together. So I, I thought that would take me a very short period of time. And I wrote the first 10 chapters very quickly, but the book turned out to be 98 chapters with a epilogue and a, and a preface. So make that a hundred. And uh, every time I thought I was done, I would be led to do something else. And so, you know, I was led to say, you know, present it to prehistory from what, the polytheists say and show and measure everything against what's written in the Bible because everything I do is I measure against what's written in the Bible and I let them speak in, in the book in, the, in their own words and so that nobody come back and say well you manipulated this because I hate that I hate people when they manipulate the Bible let them speak uh, and how it showed a similar history but through a polytheist lens a similar prophetic ideology but through a polytheist lens and uh, the more I went, the more, I, and I thought I was done, and I, want, I would go to say, I need to get this published, and I'd be led, no, you need to look into this. Then you need to look into this. And I, you know, you know, lo and behold, by about 2013, I'm going, <laughs> you know, when am I going to be done, right? Uh, and well, you learn you're never done, but at some point in time, you have to, you know, get the information out or, you know, what's it worth? I mean, in terms of all the work that you've done. And mm -hmm. so, but to get it published, I took out over 300 pages. And then I have also all the, a whole bunch of other research. So that's why I continue to put out research right now. So that's how long I've been researching and working on it. And, you know, it's a journey. And I understand when people are in the beginning process of the journey, in the middle mm -hmm. process, and that's why I go back to those four sort of uh, five major things that, on how I approach the Bible that I try and portray to people because I come at it from a contrarian perspective. But what it does do is permit you a way to continue to learn and not lose faith because every step of the way, it has to make perfect sense and not contradict itself. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, it, it's really an honor to have you on, and, and you, you, you use the word contrarian, but it just reminds me of the Berean Jews who are more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica, 
and they, yes. they serve. I love that <laughs> term, <laughs> Breens. Yes. yes. Well, well, um, thank God for you and your faithfulness to uh, you know steward His Word for all of these decades. Um, it's been an honor to have you on, and um, you've you've provided us with a ton of information. And so, um, thank you, sir. Yep. And if anybody has just want to. Uh, Ask me a question, just go through the, the website. If you have a question, I will get back to you. Wow, thank you very much. We, we appreciate it. And uh, you're, you're helping to prepare the body for, uh, in this generation for, what, uh, for, the, for the battle uh, that, that we are in right now. And um, yeah, thank you so much. So, well, thank you, and thank you. And thank you for having me. It's appreciated. Absolutely. And, um, and maybe we'll we'll have you back on. Um, we'll talk we'll talk more about that in the, uh, later. But yep. we'd uh, we'd love to have you on in the future. Yeah, I would love to come back uh, and to uh, get some feedback from your uh, listeners. And again, if you know if they had questions that they send in to you, and you want to do a show just on some of the questions, we can do that or pick another subject. But just a matter of scheduling it, and we can work it in. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So, well, God bless everybody watching, and um, we will talk, we will see you guys soon. So I just ended the, uh, the broadcast, and then on Facebook, and the recording. Did you want... Um,